This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Today, we have brought you a super guest from outside the insurance industry, Mr. Chris Beal from Connect and Sell. Chris, what is going on, my friend? I tell you what, everything good is going on and very few bad things. That's go. good. Hey, you know what? And, and honestly, we can say that and sort of snicker about it. But the truth of the matter is the mindset's where everything starts. And if you start every day believing what you just said, your rest of your day is going to go pretty darn good. I believe that to be true. You know, I used to be an old, but, well, not old. I am old now. I used to be a mountaineer and rock climber type. And I had to remind myself, especially in a multi-day climb, when you get up and you've been laying on some piece of rock all night and you've got two hours sleep and you're sore and, and you're looking up at something scary if you don't get your mindset right, you're either going down or you're going dead. Yeah. And so I kind of learned way back then, going dead and going down sucks. So why not get the mindset straight in the morning? There's a 0% chance that I will, A, wake up after sleeping on a rock, and B, staring up at something scary, because that means I would have already scaled something somewhat scary, and I don't do that. So I'm going to have to take your word for it on that. Yeah. But I mean, mindset is everything, man, in... Speaking of rock climbing, I might, I'm going to go down this rabbit hole for a second, but there's a guy out there that's a free climber. I don't remember what his name is, but about 10 years ago, maybe not quite 10, they did a 60-minute special on this cat that was scaling the front face of some ridiculously high, more than vertical, like it actually came back. It was inverted backwards. Nothing, no tie-offs, just had a little pouch with some chalk on for his hands, and that was it. And I'm like freaking out in my living room as I'm watching this guy do this. It's literally making me uncomfortable thinking about it right now. It's it's insane. Are your hands sweating? Yeah. Yeah, mine are. That's why I got the chalk. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. guy's name is Eric Honholtz, and uh, he climbed El Cap by a very, very difficult route on, on rope. There's a great movie on it. And it's called Free Solo. And one of my podcast episodes on my podcast is actually about that particular climb and how it relates to 
uh, mindset and sales. Huh. The other one, the other one that I have gotten hooked on, and and I don't know why I'm such a glutton for punishment with things that absolutely terrify me, mm. but it's these clowns that hook the the high wire. Um, walk, it's, I don't think it's like walk, the walk line across like the the canyons and stuff yes, like that. Yes, no. it's on uh, Discovery Plus right now. Is a mm-hmm. um, is it, it's a Discovery based reality show but it, it's it's a documentary of these people that and that's what they do just watching how they prepare for it right and and i i don't mean to go down rabbit holes but i actually think this is a great way to yeah. set the table for what we're going to talk about today because if you think about it it's great to have the mindset that you're going to go out and do great things and that everything's good and not nearly as much as bad but that only comes that ability to have that mindset only comes with the right preparation and the constant replication of that preparation and truthfully I can't think of a a thing you could do that you need to be more prepared for than walking across these high lines, across these canyons, and just watching how they have to assemble everything to span the gap to even get to the point where somebody can step out on it. It's just, the whole thing's nuts, man. I'm not wired that way. No. (laughs) Well, I'm afraid I probably am a little bit. And uh, so, you know, I I didn't used to play that game, although I did take seven steps out onto a very famous high wire once across uh, El Dorado Canyon in Boulder. And, uh, but I had a rope. Yeah. So I wasn't going to fall to my death. I was just going to slam into well, the yeah, wall. And it those, yeah. Those guys are tied off, but I mean, do I really want to be dangling down below? I mean, it's even worse than walking on it. <laughs> yeah. There's, you know, it's kind of funny though. It's like, so what we do at connect and sell is we help people have a lot of sales conversations and when it comes to fear of execution, fear of impending execution, like I got to do this thing, somebody went out and did a survey and they came up with the two scariest things in the world. Death was way down there somewhere. The, the number one scariest thing they thought going in was public speaking because everybody says Yeah, I've speaking. heard that a million right. times and I just don't I, don't, I don't get that, but I don't know. You know what's interesting to me? Death. Yeah, well, you see, you're wired. You're wired like those guys. I'm not though. Like I'm not. Like I, you would never catch me on a tightrope or like anything like that. I just, I, I was actually talking about this with a, um, a friend or, or my wife or something the other day, like a week or two ago, about how the number one fear for people is public speaking, and I'm just like, oh, I know what it was. My buddy had to give a, a talk in front of a, a front of a group of people. And he was like kind of wigging out about it. I'm like, dude, just like, I mean, all you got to do is practice what you're going to say and you just go up there and kind of memorize it and spit it out. And it'll be, once you get through the first, however many, you know, sentences, you'll kind of be rolling and it'll just go autopilot. And, and we started talking about how everybody's number one, not everybody, but the number one fear is public speaking. And it's just, I don't know, it doesn't, it's definitely nerve wracking, but I, I feel like once you get up there and you start talking, you kind of become comfortable and settle in a little bit, or at least I always have. Well, the thing for me, de- yeah, death yeah. is not something that's ever scared me as far as my own death, because when it happens, I'm not going to be around to deal with the fallout anyhow. So what do I care? Right. Like, that's how I view it. But if yeah. something were to happen to one of my kids or my wife and I witnessed that, that would probably be like the single largest thing. Or totally. now how you die could be a big thing. Like if I'm stuck, like my big toe gets stuck in the drain in the deep end of my swimming pool and I can't swim to the surface <laughs> and I end up suffocating that way. I've, I've, you know, just I've thought through that a few times. That would suck. Yeah, you know, drowning's not that bad. So, <laughs> uh. so yeah, it's really interesting. Well, well, the thing that we let people do at Connect and Sell is actually something they're more afraid of than public speaking, which is cold calling. 
And huh. it's really interesting. We've discovered the underlying reason for that fear. And we've actually done something about it. So right now, in fact, a very, very large company has got two groups of people going through what we call flight school. And the real purpose of flight school is to get to the point very, very quickly where you realize the fear is on the other side. It's actually the prospect when you call somebody and you are an invisible stranger and you've ambushed them, they are afraid of you because you are the worst thing in all of history and prehistory, which is the guys from across the river, and it's always guys, and they paint their faces wrong, you know, they paint them like uh, you, you got uh, you got a hat on there that, you know, that hat says I'm with these guys, right? There's people who wear another kind of hat. You don't like those people right. so much, right? Right. This is this is deep in humankind. And when the people with the wrong hat, so to speak, come from across the river and they're yeah. invisible, that means it's nighttime. And when it's nighttime and they're in your village, they're not bringing you a Bud yeah. Light. You know, they're here to change the demographics of your village suddenly and violently. And so when we ambush somebody, we know in our gut, without even knowing that we know, that we are the worst thing in the world. We're the invisible stranger. And we don't like mm -hmm. it. We don't like it because we're about to be, you know, reacted to. Sure. Right? And so knowing, however, just knowing that the fear is on the other foot, it's their fear, allows you. It's like that public speaking thing you were talking about, Kyle. One of the main things that gets people over the public speaking fear is knowing that, hey, I'm the expert. Otherwise, I wouldn't be up here yeah, on Yeah, exactly. Stage. There's a reason you're Who's up there talking, idiot? right? You know? Exactly. Same thing when I'm cold calling. I'm, I'm offering you something of incalculable value. I know it and you don't. Great. It's so now I know you're afraid of me and, you know, and I know that I'm offering, you know, this wonderful mm -hmm. thing, an opportunity to meet and learn something. If I can figure out what to do in those first seven seconds, like you said, Kyle, getting up in front of the group, if I can get through the first seven seconds of right. my talk, I'm probably going to do all right in a funny way. So it turns out the key to kind of harnessing cold calling as a weapon for producers is really, really simple. It's getting it straight in your head that that other person's afraid of you and it's your job to get them to trust you in seven seconds by saying the right things and saying them in the right way. And if you know how to do that, it's just like Kyle talking about getting up and giving that talk in the right way at the beginning, you know how to do it and you repeat it like those high wire folks. That's not the first time yeah, they went exactly. out of that high wire. Right. <laughs> I think the people that get super nervous are the ones that don't you know, do any type of rehearsal. Like any meetings that I've ever been on, for the most part of any importance, any big meetings or presentations I've had, again, I've role played them and done them several times the day before so that when I go in, I'm comfortable. And if I need to make adjustments, I can, but I know generally what track we need to go on. And that for me settle, settles me down. I think where people get the fear of the public speaking a lot is how they're going to be perceived by the people that they're talking with. Um, what they're going to think about them or if they freeze up or if they do that. But if you, again, if you go, if you have that amount of preparation and do it the right way, those things shouldn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I do lots and lots of public speaking. I used to do way more back mm -hmm. when I traveled you know, before this, some things showed up and, uh, I would always, I always go to the edge of the stage and I put my toes out over the edge and I look down, pretend you're walking on I a tightrope over the Canyon. <laughs> Yeah, I tell the audience, look, I'm an old rock climber. What I'm doing right now in my mind is I'm standing at the top of Half Dome, looking down 2,200 feet of air, 
because when I'm public speaking, I'm so calm that I, I don't sound very interested. So I got to get my heart rate <laughs> up so I can engage with the people. <laughs> they always laugh. They think that. But you know, when you bring the emotions out and you're, tra- you're vulnerable and you're transparent, everybody comes with you. They just come with you immediately, whether it's private or public, they are yours as soon as you show strength through vulnerability. And as long as you're being defensive, you're armored, then they have to react. They have no choice but to react to your armor with their armor. Mm-hmm. And now you're in an armor game, right? And then how do you get through that to get to the bottom of the issue and find out that, you know, th- that somebody that you want to be doing business with and they want to be doing business with you, not somebody who's going to refuse to provide you with the documentation needed for mm-hmm. an audit. For instance, <laughs> as, as an example. Right, exactly. I mean, that's the other thing too, is just thinking like, okay, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to say no. Okay. No, I don't want to do business with you. No, I don't want to provide you the documentation. Have you ever picked up the phone to cold call someone and they just shriek in horror at a deafening level when they answer the phone? No, that's never going to happen. Right. And even if it did, like, how is that? Like, like, who cares? I mean, you'll never talk to this person again. Who cares? Well, here, I, I have a question, Chris, because, you know, you used a very specific number, right? So obviously that's based on research and experience, but why seven seconds? Well, because the FBI told me so. <laughs> oh, yeah? Was it and, the FBI uh, or was it Chris Voss specifically? Here we go. It was Chris Voss specifically, and he told me at dinner one night. So here's the deal. is I had the good fortune of going to a holiday party. That wasn't the good fortune. I don't like holiday parties, actually. And uh, I had to fly to San Francisco to go to this party, so it was even worse. And it had a how to host a murder thing, which made it like 10 times worse. But I got to sit at the same table with Chris there Voss. There you go. Which overcame all that. Who, horror, by the way, right? is getting ready to yep. release a reality party experience called "Negotiate for the Hostage's Life," coming to a city near you, right? <laughs> I bet he is. Oh, this guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that would be unnerving for most Absolutely. of us. So, uh, at the end of the how to host a murder thing, which, by the way, he and I solved because, well, why wouldn't the physicist and the FBI guy solve the stupid murder puzzles, <laughs> right? So. <laughs> We played along and played along, and eventually it's like, okay, we're tired of this, and through the. So answer. is this kind of like like a sort of like an escape room type of thing, or like it's not even up okay. to that level. Okay. No, it's it's like there's there's actors in the in who are disguised as people who are dis, uh, at the okay. party, and they it's are like playing a- different roles, and then you play it, you get assigned a role, and. They're trying. You're trying it's to like solve. A, it's like a life-size game of clues. All I can think about is the episode of The Office where Michael had him do this in the conference room. That's why I'm laughing. I'm not. I'm not like laughing at you, Chris, because I'm making fun of you. Like I'm literally laughing at how horrible that. Ep- I mean, I, one of my favorite episodes of all time. Well, by the way, they did a great job with it, and it, and it was based on a, a sports term, uh, multiple meaning. What is a perfect game? So they led you down the garden path of believing that it was about baseball and it was in fact about bowling. Mm. And so the combination to get into the box is 300. Okay. Well, I actually used to be a really good bowler. I was like a junior city champion of Phoenix at one point. So when somebody says perfect game, I think bowling immediately, even though I've actually been to a perfect game where the, really? where, uh, you know, the perfect game at, at, uh, that the Giants had a few years ago, we were trying to negotiate a deal 
a big deal, and this damn perfect game <laughs> broke out. And we never, never talked got about to talk it at business. all. Who, yeah. who was it? Oh, no, sixth inning on, you couldn't talk Was it talk Lincecum business. or Matt Kane? I don't remember who it was. That, okay, Kane. I was going to say. It was Kane. I got a picture of Kane with my camera, arm up, about to release that last wow, pitch. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Finish the game off. So we're sitting right down on the, on the ground watching this thing. So anyway, that aside, so at the end of dinner, uh, Chris is a very affable guy, actually. So I cornered him. Well, I semi-cornered him because I heard you shouldn't corner No, I wouldn't be cornering like, him. <laughs> yeah, and he, he, re- he advises you not to corner anybody. So I didn't corner. I just walked up to him. And I said, Chris, I got a question that's been bugging me for a long time. And I know you know the answer. How long in a cold call do we have to get trust? And what I mean is, when's it too late? When it's too late and we will never get them to trust us. And he just looked at me and he says, seven seconds. Hmm. And I said, well, that's interesting because our research says eight seconds. And he says, your research is wrong. It's seven <laughs> seconds. That's awesome. So, hence my belief in the seven seconds because his body of research, which includes, you know, hostage negotiation stuff and working with Harvard Business yeah. School and all that, superior to mine. And I don't, my stopwatch is a little <laughs> yeah. slow. That's you know, so here's the question, though. Was he right or is he just so good at convincing you to believe <laughs> that he's right? You know, it could be 12 seconds, man. Who knows? <laughs> I tell you what, it's, it's, it's possible. So I had to ask him my follow-up question. Because my real question isn't whether it's 7 or 12. It's can we get it done? Can I teach it? Right. Can I teach people to do this? Because what we do at Connect and Sales, we let somebody push a button, talk to somebody on their list in about three minutes. So we do what we call amplifying suck, right? Like if you were to put me up against major league pitching and you were to give me some helpful tips, you could only make me worse than my native self, right? Yeah, because I now mean, you're facing a major league pitcher trying to adjust things. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a terrible place to be. We all do it. We do it in golf. We do it everywhere, yeah. right? So what I was interested in is, hey, we, we ought to give people the opportunity to suck Instead of once an hour, 10 times an hour. So how can we get them to suck less? And we know that if we can get to trust, we don't even have to get to a meeting. Because after all, you can talk to them later. Because that's what our technology does. So if you can get, my thesis was this. If you can get somebody to trust you and the timing's not good. And you, in your industry, the timing's rarely good, yeah. right? And when is everybody ready to drop what right. they have and go, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to switch to you tomorrow. It's, it's a sucky world full of timing, right? So if the timing's not good, which it's never good in business, you can talk to them a quarter from now, a quarter from now, a quarter from now using our technology, but you already have trust. And conversations within a trust relationship are 10,000 times, and I just made that number up, uh, more effective and easier to have. So if you can pave a market with trust, you can harvest that market over the one, two, three years of their kind of replacement cycle for whatever the heck they have that they need that you sell. So that was my thesis. So I, I didn't really care if it was seven or 12. What I cared about is, can you get it done in seven? He says seven. So like, well, okay. Well, well what do you have to do right. in seven? And he says, oh, that's easy. Of course <laughs> it is. I don't know if you've talked to Chris, but that, oh, that's easy. The way he said that just totally had me intrigued, right? Because he can play the curiosity string on that guitar all day right. long. Well, I feel so, like we owe it as a public service announcement to our listeners to let them know that we have not met each other before today, right? And you may or may not know how into Chris Voss we really are on this podcast. 
So, no yeah, idea. that's what I'm saying. It's crazy. Like that everything we talk about with regards to things that we're using that we've converted from never split the difference and pushed it into our game on the insurance side is being validated by a guy who does nothing but teach people how to connect and sell. Like that is his primary, I should say <laughs> he does nothing, but his primary job is to do that. And he's quoting the same guy we talk to you guys about every week. So <laughs> yeah. proceed. I just want to make sure they know this isn't scripted. Yeah, well, it's hardly surprising that both the Earth and Mars circle around the sun rather than, you know, the other <laughs> way around. Yeah. Right? yeah. So we shouldn't be too shocked. Chris Voss has had some uh, – he's a special guy. He's had special experiences and actually distilled them into something we can mm-hmm. all use, and that's wonderful and rare. So I asked him, so follow-up question, what do we have to do? He says, oh, that's easy. You know, I almost literally spilled mm-hmm. my drink at that point, but it was a really good bourbon, and I was trying to learn how to drink bourbon because I want to be like Chris. So – <clears throat> I go, well, well, what do you mean that's easy? He says, oh, it's easy. All you have to do is you got to show that other person you see the world through their eyes. We call it tactical empathy. And then you need to demonstrate to them that you're competent. It's very specific. You're competent to solve a problem they have right now. At which point I asked the smartest question I've ever asked in my life, even though it was a totally dumb reaction. I said, well, on a cold call, isn't the problem they have right now me? Yeah, I mean, kind of is. Answers yes, hundred percent, hundred percent, right? And he said, "Yeah, bingo." So he said, "Your problem is you've scared him. When you cold call somebody, you've scared him, and that emotion of fear is the perfect platform to build trust by doing the two things I just told you to do." And it's very interesting. So we think that the prospect's fear or our fear, either way, is an impediment to the cold call. It's actually the platform. The prospect's fear guarantees that you can create trust by relieving that fear through a two-step process in which you tell them you see the world through their eyes. And here's how you do that. You just say these words. I mean, there's probably a thousand words you could say, right? But we've learned a simple teachable phrase, which goes like this. David, I know I'm an interruption. And you say it just like that. Got to hit the cadence. You throw yourself under the bus. Inflection and hit them between the eyes right out of the box. Right. And throw yourself under the bus. You don't get close to the bus and then squeal like a, you know, like a little whatever and jump back and say, oh, it got me. You you throw yourself under the bus. Kaboom, ba-boom, right? And you're you're dead and they don't have to get Mm -hmm. you. You self-indict. That takes about two seconds. Now you've got to offer them something that is of real value, which is, a solution to the problem they have right now. Well, you're the problem. So what's the solution? You go away. But what do you get for it? Ah, that's the question, right? So one thing you can do, and I, so I tried this on Chris. I said, this is what we say to say. I know I'm an interruption. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? And he thought about it for a moment and he said, it's perfect. I'm going, Loves great. the odd number, by I'm the way. Gonna... The 27 seconds, he immediately gravitates to that because that's straight out of his, his price negotiation mm-hmm. book, right? Just name an oddball number, oddball figure, whatever it is. And, and there, people are going to be more worried about why you chose that number than they are the fact that you asked for the right. time. Exactly, exactly. So you've gotten them intrigued with that and you've offered a solution to the problem they have, which is, hey, I go away in 27 seconds and all you have to do is listen. Now, given that their goal, the goal of the person being called is to get off this call because it was a mistake to answer it, right? They didn't know it was a mistake. That the, I answered one day before yesterday, Forks, Washington. Why did I answer? I thought it was my insurance guy. 
because I had this vague recollection he might have a Forks number. And I thought, well, I must not have put it in, you know, I'm, I'm sloppy about taking care of my, you know, that thing that they have on the phone that tells you who people are. So I answered it. Who was it? It was somebody from Zoom Info recently acquired a ring lead and she wanted to get me in a meeting and do it. That's why I always let it go to voicemail, baby. <laughs> yeah, well, everybody says they do. But no, I'll it's tell not. You what, I, if it's from, if it's a, the area code from where I had this one once, I'm presenting to, to my board of directors, area code 480. Okay. Something in Phoenix. My dad had just mm. died just a week before. So do I want my sister co-executor to handle anything that's unknown coming out of Phoenix? Absolutely not. She has enough on her plate. So I step out of the board meeting, say, guys, I got to step out. I'm in mid-presentation. I'm standing up there talking to my board. I said, I got to take this. I step out into the hall. It's somebody using Connect and Sell from SAP Concur trying to sell me travel and expense. Hoisted on my own petard. Right? That's awesome. So we answer for funny reasons, but the real, so we can get people to answer the phone. I mean, it's just statistics. It's like a one in 23 chance, not a big deal, right? We, we do 60 million phone calls a year, fully navigated through phone trees and, you know, dial by name directories and gatekeepers and every other manner of obstacle, right? And we hang up on voicemail and we deliver instantly the connect when it's made. So it's just a normal phone call. So that's our business. So great, right? Lots and lots of that stuff goes on. But what happens in those first seven seconds is what counts. And when you offer a way for somebody to get off that call with their self-image intact, they'll take it. They'll take it if you do it in that playful, curious voice. And Chris taught me that. He said, you used what we call a playful, curious voice. It went up twice. And then he mimicked me. Can I have 27 seconds to tell you why I called? Did this with his hands. So that's how I teach it now. that, right. And we're not really in the teaching business, but we got stuck teaching because it's like if you had the only car in the world, right? Everybody else is riding mules and, you, and you've invented the car. Well, you don't drive a car like you drive a mule. Somebody's got to teach people how to drive or else it's just going to hurt themselves and probably hurt some mules, too, while they're at it because they're out there on the streets. Right. So we got stuck coming up with this thing. I'm wearing the shirt right now called Flight School, where we teach people how to do that opener the seven seconds and you know how long we coach them on the opener two hours of repetition in live fire repetition got to do it i I like what you said there where you were asking the permission essentially about can i have 27 seconds to to tell you why i called because first of all most people are not going to say no to that but if they do and you follow up with something you know like okay well is there a better time or what's a better time for you What's their next question going to be? Well, what's what's this what's this about? And then you're right back to your 27 seconds of of telling them what the purpose of your call is. It just took you an extra five to get there, you know? Right, right. And the other thing is with Connect and Sell, you frankly don't care because you're in a world of abundance. You're going to talk to so many people. My reps talk to 50 to 70 decision makers, VPs of sales mm-hmm. a day mm-hmm. each. Comfortable. They do no work to do that except push a button. Mm-hmm. That's it when they want to talk to somebody, it all comes down to what happens in that human interaction. And can you get somebody to go from fear to trust, trust to curiosity, curiosity to commitment? And can you do that in the time you you've offered, which is 27 mm-hmm. seconds? And the answer is sure. And, and what the other hard part, and we got a group right now at this moment, I just got a text right before we got on from my VP of, of uh, customer success, and he's running a flight school with a big group. And I asked them, look, they look stuck. In fact, I'm going to look at them right now just to see how they're doing. So they're still 
stuck at three meetings, right? So why are they why are they stuck at three meetings? They should have probably fourteen or fifteen by now. And he said they're they're still hooked on saying what business they're in, what solution they provide. As soon as you tell somebody what solution you provide, they're going to say we're yeah. sad because you've insulted them. You called them up to tell them they didn't know how to run their own company or do their own job. And then it's like, what, am I sitting here waiting for a salesperson to call me and tell me how to do my job? You know, I've been running companies for 40 years. I do not need a salesperson to tell me I suck. Maybe I do suck, but I actually am not ready for that yet. So it's a little early. So get me curious about something and, and make, you know, just play curiosity. Don't play value. When you play value in the cold call, you're dead meat. Because you will always get, we're set because you've offered an alternative way for the prospect to execute on their plan, which is to get off this call with their self-image intact. We're set says, I'm smart. I've already taken care of this. My self-image is intact and you can't chase me except by saying, no, you're not. And that's what I call the third grade playground, which in sales, we want to avoid. We'd never want to get into this conversation in sales. My daddy's smarter than your daddy. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, he's not. Yes, he is. And people go down that rabbit hole. Talk about a rabbit hole. That's a cave of death right there. And, and people, especially young male people, are highly attracted to that style of discussion where they basically say, you're wrong and I'm mm. right. <laughs> it's kind of a non-starter in the world of sales. Right? So we teach people to say, and this is ours. I'll do ours. We teach people how to plug in their own message. But the framework is, if you said, David, you said, so yeah, yeah, go ahead. You got you know 19 seconds, right? I'd say, thanks, David. David, I believe we've discovered a breakthrough. And then I'll tell you what my breakthrough is. And then I'll ask for the meeting. So ours is, I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the waste and the frustration that keeps your best sales reps from being effective on the phone or even using the phone at all. And the reason I reached out to you today is to get 15 minutes on your calendar to share this breakthrough with you. Do you happen to have your calendar available? Playful curious at the end, come along with me. So why I believe makes you listen. Why we've discovered, because it's innocent. I'm not claiming anything, I found it. So you don't have to push back on me. I'm not saying I'm great. You say you're great, they'll say, no, you're not. I'm third grade playground, right? So discoveries, engender curiosity rather than psychological reactions. Why a breakthrough? Well, I got to tell you a story because people don't know how to listen to anything but stories. So I need a hero for my story. My breakthrough is my hero on this little hero's journey. What's it going to do? It's going to go slay a three-headed dragon because that's what heroes do. What are the heads? Well, one of them's obviously money-oriented. We call it economic. Risk, money, time. Something in there I got to talk about. Something emotional, because that's why people make decisions. Probably frustration. Rarely fear. In the risk business, actually, I bet it's pretty scary to bring out fear too early, because until they trust you, if you bring out fear, (laughs) they're not going to trust you. They're going to push back. Frustration is more common. Everybody's frustrated in business, right? And then where are they trying to go? We call that strategy. Like, where are they trying to go? Well, they're blocked. So, you know, free up some time so they can do something else with that time. For instance, I've, we did one the other day that's like this. I believe we've discovered a breakthrough that completely eliminates the frustration of constantly dealing with yesterday's compliance problems instead of focusing on today's revenue opportunities. And the reason I reached out to you is to get 15 minutes on your calendar to share this breakthrough with you. Do you happen to have your calendar available? These folks we taught this to 
went from like zero meetings for 200 conversations to about one meeting per eight. That's awesome. Quite the difference. But they have to make sure they don't say breakthrough insurance right. product, breakthrough offer. As soon as you say what the offering is, if I said, I believe we've discovered a breakthrough dialing technology, that boom, yeah. dead, gone. That's a good point. And people don't think of that. I like that. They're taught the opposite. Mm-hmm. They are taught the opposite. They're taught go for value. Value is death in the cold. You can't, you, yeah, you, you can't value establish value. a value proposition on a 27 second phone call, period. No. So if you're out there doing that, people quit it, period. I think that's one of the biggest issues in our industry. I can say specifically with absolute certainty, the reason people aren't getting appointments is because they're trying to sell the deal on the call when they need to be scheduling the appointment. You're not going to sell the deal on the phone. And if you do, you probably have an account you don't want. Totally. Yes. Yes. And what you need to do instead is, and this is really interesting. I've asked people this all the time. What's the value of the meeting that you're offering? They say, what do you mean? What's the value for the prospect of the meeting? Well, what do you mean? Well, what are they going to learn? <laughs> well, we're going to find out what their needs are and get them to a deal. No, that's the value for you. What's the value for them? And the answer is nobody knows, right? So if you know the three things that they are going to learn from meeting with you that will be of value to them, even if they never do business with you, then you have a good product, the meeting. The meeting has to stand alone as a product. It is the product. The universal product of B2B is the meeting. Learn to sell meetings. You you can be a producer. I mean, shoot, with what I've been forced to learn in the last 10 years at Connect and Sell, I was already a pretty decent producer. I could go in any stupid industry known to mankind where I don't know anything and just ask this question. Give me three people who did not buy but attended a meeting and and let me ask them, what'd you learn? I'll take that. That's my product. I'll distill it into emotional, simple emotional language. I'll put it inside the breakthrough statement. I'll get appointments with them all day long. I agree with you. I agree with you. I I brought this um, example up in a prior podcast. It goes back to a conversation that I had with a guy that I have a standing call with every week. And he was very, very frustrated because he has not had the time right? It's always time, time, time. I don't have the time to get new business because I'm servicing our existing clients and I'm answering all their questions. I don't have the time to get as much new business because I'm having to answer all these questions from prospects and follow up and make sure they know. He goes, and and this is verbatim from his mouth. It's not my job to educate my clients. That's Google's job. Okay. That's the mindset of the insurance industry, by and large, if you were to look across the entire industry. I, I told him, I said, you just told me everything wrong with your business. You don't have, you don't yeah. have a teacher's mentality. It is absolutely our job to educate. And in fact, if you're a really good educator, you don't have to sell anything. Right. It's going to sell itself. You have to equip people with what they need to know to make a decision. And you have to do it in such a way by asking questions that prove to that person you know how to solve the problem based off the question that you ask. But I'll tell you what, if you think Google is the best way to educate your clients, continue to send them there. Because when they go and they Google it, their question, <laughs> my agency other, yeah. is going to show up with the answer <laughs> on our blog because that's specifically how we market. So mm-hmm. I encourage you to continue yeah. to send your clients to Google. 
Yeah, I love it. I, it it's funny. There's a conceit out there that sellers shouldn't be teachers. And it's just crazy. It doesn't make sense. Now, there's a point in the process where you have to back off of that and say, I'm not here to teach you everything for the rest right. of your life. Because at some point, my time is worth too much and you're not paying me to do that, right? So I think the hardest part about selling is that, well, in fact, I, I believe this is generally true. Great openers are usually good teachers, but they are poor closers because they don't know when to sacrifice the immediate good feeling of the relationship for the possibility of the deal. And they, they just don't have that feel. And great closers are often horrible openers mm -hmm. because they can't get out of their own way with regard to waiting for when it's good to close. It's like, it works so well. I think I'll just do it now. And, uh, it's, and I, I think that all of us can be really good at both. We have our nature, right? We're either great openers or great closers or, or really great relationship people. Some of people are great at maintaining relationships. Right? They have that feel. And you can even learn that. There's mechanics around that. But I tell you, if you can't open, I don't care how well you can close because nobody's going to bring you any You're not going to get to that point. Right. <laughs> exactly. you. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. The dynamics are fascinating and it's all human. You know, so somebody once asked me, why do you guys do this thing at Connect? And so it doesn't seem very human push a button. And I said, here's the human part. Have a conversation with a human being. You know, people talk about email. So I'll go away from Google, right? So Google's bad enough. Email's worse. And the reason email's worse is there's not enough information in an email for somebody to be able to begin to trust you. And a whole email has, and I'm not, now I'm going to confess, I'm an old computer science guy. I'm actually a physicist. This is really bad, right? So some people will throw me out of school for that one. Like you studied physics. What's that? Hmm. Well, it's how balls drop and shit like that, right? <laughs> so it's because they, if, you know, you don't have to believe in gravity. It believes in you. And I wanted to know something about it. Right? <laughs> so, it's, but as we've kind of, you know, as we, as we've moved along in, in our understanding of how, how stuff works, what we found was this thing called information. This guy named Shannon figured out what information is, and it's, it's in these things called bits. People think bits are in a computer. Bits are actually units of information, and it's the smallest. It's like the breakdown. You can't get to the atom of information, right? So an email has about 5,000 bits in it. If you can get somebody to read it, right, the human voice carries 20,000 bits per second. That's four emails of information every second. So that seven seconds is 28 emails fully read, except they're not just being read here and coming into the front of your brain. They're being read here and they're going into the middle where the old stuff is, where, you, where your emotions live. So when somebody tells me, oh, I'm going to do email marketing, it's like, knock yourself out. You will never get trust except by occasional luck when somebody decides to take a meeting with you and you don't blow it. But when you cold call people, you can, get, you can get trust 100% of the time if you execute correctly. So think of a market, say my market's 10,000, right? And I want to know, is my offering any good in the market? So I got to talk to the square root of the market. So I got to talk to 100. So if I cold call people with the phone, I talk to two people a day. So it's 50 days. Well, I have the patience to spend 50 days of my life in order to know whether my offering's any good in that market. Ah, probably not. Can I get that done in one day or two days? Now the game changes, but I've got to have the skill. And my skill has to be not only to get the information back, 
but to get trust now in that first 100, which guarantees that my competitor is dead in that world. Competitors can never get somebody to not trust you. They cannot. If they try to, the competitor will be trusted less. Anybody who's, we've seen this, right? It's called a politics. American politics works like this. Somebody gets somebody to trust them. And then somebody comes along and says, don't trust that guy. And now you don't trust the person who says, don't trust that guy. That's how it works. <laughs> so pave the market with trust. You own the market and you harvest it at your leisure. It's just, it's as simple as that. And the only thing we know that does it is the cold call. We don't know of another mechanism that has enough bits in it. The seven times 20,000, that's 140,000 bits you get into their midbrain before they have to even say anything. Hmm. That's insane. I mean, that's a really cool way to put it though. Um, You know, to be able to break it down that way. I I think that way. So it makes complete sense to me. I have a feeling there's people out there that are short circuiting right now, trying to figure (laughs) out, you know, how you could actually get that much information out uh, to somebody that quickly. But what about in person? Like, like, I mean, you have any type of figures on on what that looks like in terms of, of bits of information when you can actually see the person as well? Like if you're, if you're, if you walk into a place cold, I mean, Oh, yeah, it's huge. It's gotta be. It's huge. If you know how to handle yourself, if you can walk into a place and handle yourself correctly, you win a hundred percent of the time and you can go all the way to that next stage because there's so much trust. Mm-hmm. The, the difference between person to person and, and voices, voice is actually more effective early because it's less confusing. You don't, you only have yeah. this one modality to deal with, which is tone of voice, right? So you, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, I've got a, I've got a bottle of wine, right? And I, I'm interested to know whether it's any good. Well, the first thing I have to do is get the damn cork mm-hmm. out of the thing. Now I enter a world of complexity, right? Because wine is complex. So for some people, it's so complex, I can't even understand how it's that complex. But there's books and books and books written about, you know, this, that, and the you're, other you're thing safe, about Chris. wine. Those people aren't listening to this podcast. <laughs> I, can you. I know, I know. That's why I use this analogy. I was going to use beer, but it's oh, too yeah, easy no, to Oh, yeah, you defend half the people so, listening if you said beer. <laughs> See, here we go. So we, when you think about this just as an analogy, right, there's complexity in the bottle. There's complexity in the relationship, but there's simplicity in starting the relationship. All I need is a corkscrew and a, t- and a little bit of skill and about seven seconds. Interestingly <laughs> enough, it takes seven seconds to actually open a bottle of wine. That's why I chose the analogy, right? We need to get into the situation before we can let the complexity loose. And the human voice without complicated visuals is the way to do that. Now, having done that, we go to the scheduled meeting, which is an expression of trust and curiosity. They came. And then, by the way, if they don't show, you have the best thing in business. The no-show is the single most valuable moment in business. We manufacture no-shows when we can because you can have this conversation. I I know you answer the phone. I'm going to tell you that. Therefore, I'm going to call you, right? And I'm going to say, hey, I see we had something on the calendar for nine o'clock yesterday. Something must have come up for you. When's a better time to talk? And I tell you what, you now have the rarest thing in business, moral Mm -hmm. superiority over something you have authority over them, and they will behave accordingly. Their goal changes now to having you approve of them. You know, it's funny you say that because I have actually said that over the course of my entire career. 
I prefer, I, I shouldn't say I prefer, I don't mind it if I get porched. Like if I show up for a meeting that's been booked, I don't, I, I don't mind it. A lot of, a lot of salespeople get upset and yes, our time is all valuable. My time is extremely valuable, but here's why I don't mind because now they owe me every time. 100% of the time that I have been skipped for a first meeting, when I get the second meeting, now I don't always get the second meeting, they may just ghost me completely, but the overwhelming majority of the time, I get the second meeting because they feel guilty for the fact that they left me hanging out to dry, and I can use that as leverage when I'm ready to actually go in and present what I want to present to them. Exactly. So... The chief sales officer of a pretty good-sized insurance brokerage uses Connect and Sell like that. And he, he takes 74.5% of all of his conversations and turns them into a verbal agreement for a meeting, which he treats as a full agreement and sends them a calendar invite. And he hopes they don't show up because hmm. he wins. Now, he wins when they do show up because he's really, really good and he has an interesting curiosity-based kind of approach, which works very well. But when we've adopted it, so Cheryl Turner, who just called me a minute ago, is a woman who works for me. So she hangs out in the park with her three-year-old using our mobile app, and she sets meetings with CEOs all day long. So that's, that's her thing. And she loves it when they don't show up. She did a whole podcast episode for me, in fact, two episodes, called The Secrets of Her Success and I Heart No-Shows. And the whole idea is the no-show is the best thing. So why wouldn't you love it? Well, it's ego. But we all know in, in every game, right? In everything we do, ego is an obstacle. It's never like, oh, great. I bought the maximum amount of my ego to whatever, right? To see if I can learn to hit major league curveballs. So I decided to be really frustrated and ego-driven every time I missed one. And that made me great. No, it doesn't work like that. Humility is how we learn things. That's all there is yeah, to it. There is so much that you can talk about just on that one thought process. We could do an entire podcast episode mm -hmm. on it. You know, I've never, um, I think there's a delicate balance that you have to have as a salesperson. You know, so number one, I'm of the belief that you need to make sure that that prospect understands your time is valuable too. Like you have to put a value on your own time or else they're never going to respect that. So that's one thing that I think is important. However, you can't push that so much that you get yourself out of meetings at the same time. Look, stuff happens, man. People forget. It doesn't get on your calendar. There's so many different things that you can do to prevent that. You know this, Chris, because you're on our podcast. You got an immediate uh, calendar invite. Then you got an update when the link hit. Then you got a reminder that we were having the meeting. There was a pretty high likelihood you were showing up to be on the podcast today, not just because it was a podcast, but because of all of the reminders and all of the systems that we had in place. But the fact is, you could have missed it. And I have to automatically assume, based on doing this for the last 20 years, that if I've gone through that same process with somebody I'm supposed to go meet with and they're not there, Something pretty serious has probably happened. Mm -hmm. Something serious enough that they they rushed out of the office or they had to go home and they didn't have the time to remember, oh, crap, I'm supposed to meet with that guy from the insurance place today and I screwed up. I feel terrible. 
I'll reach out to them as quick as I get this taken care of. Many times they reach out to me before I ever have the opportunity to reach out to them and say, hey, what happened? Because it was. It was like, hey, look, I got a call from the school. One of the kids, you know, one of my kids was next to somebody who had COVID and now, you know, I had to go get them out, quarantine them. It's going to be two weeks before I can meet you because I'm not coming in. I'm working from home, but I just want to let you know I am feel terribly that I missed our meeting and I do want to make it up to you. Yeah, exactly. By the way, one way to uh, to let people know your time is val- valuable, uh, this uh, chief sales officer, chief growth officer now uh, that insurance company taught me this. He does this at the end of a cold call. He says, when they say whatever, he says, great. I'll, you know, I'm a morning person. I'll shoot you something for next Thursday. We'll move it around if we have to. I got another call I got to go to. Bye. Just doing that mm-hmm. at the end not keeping them on and trying to grind them for anything more. That's how you express that your time is valuable because somebody else wants your time. I got another call I got to go yeah. to. Bye. Yeah, that's good. Right? And you're done. So there, this stuff can all be handled in the first 30 seconds, actually, as far as I can tell. You can establish kind of like who you are, what the ground rules are, how the game is going to be played, why you're on their side and why that's okay, but why you're not rolling over and throwing all four legs in the air either. And it's like, you know, this is what I think folks miss about sales. A sales is a precision activity. Like any other athletic activity, it's highly, highly precise. And the notion that just making it up, (laughs) it's like somebody told me, well, I got to be myself. I can't use a script. It's like, hey, if you you were going surfing, would you just take a kitchen door and jump on it? Right. Or are you going to take advantage of the 80 years of expertise of somebody else? Right, exactly. You're dead if you do that, right? So don't don't surf on a kitchen door. Get yourself a professionally crafted script where the psychology is understood, where linguistic psychologists have worked on it, and they know second by second, millisecond by millisecond, how it works in the human mind and become an expert at that. Don't make up your golf grip either. That ain't going to work unless you're... Unless you're Jim Palmer. I remember Jim, Jim Palmer could make up his own golf grip. And he could also play right-handed or left-handed. Okay. Freaks of nature are freaks of nature. I ain't talking to sure. freaks of nature. I'm talking to regular people like me who have to learn things step by step. And if you want to be good at sales, that first 30 seconds of the first conversation are where precision execution is going to pay off the most. Well, and precision execution comes with practice over and over and over again. It's a volume mm-hmm. play, right? Like you don't have the best hitters in baseball that go out and still get out seven out of 10 times, just get out of bed, throw their jammies on or take their pajamas off, get dressed and go to the field. And all of a sudden they're hitting. They have to warm up. They have to take batting practice right. on their off days. They're doing strength training, endurance training, all of the other things that happen in the sales game is no different. If you're going to call it the sales game, you have to treat it just like you would a professional athlete treats the game that they play, it's got to be all of the things working in concert perfectly for you to have that absolute best day. But that only comes when you develop those individual pieces of your process to a point that you can flawlessly execute them every single time it's time to deliver. Exactly. And you're still going to fail. You're going to objectively seem like you're failing, but you can, you know, it's like if you're, if you're a professional baseball player, right. And you, you take this mindset, I'm going to execute as precisely as I can, and I'm going to learn on every, every swing, I'm going to learn something. In that case, you've always, your attitude is always, I'm always learning, but your execution is still at the highest possible level. Because the fact is you can't be perfect. So you're trying to be perfect, 
but you know you can't be, right? And if we measure it in batting average, we know that, you know, awesome is a pretty small number, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's still awesome. It's like three, 330, awesome. Well, actually, it's kind of a small <laughs> number. I'm looking at my team right now. So my team of sellers who use our own product, I got both kind of inside salespeople who set appointments for others, and I've got full producers who are, you know, carry multi-million dollar quotas. And when you talk about volume, what is their opportunity to learn today? So today, today, just since the beginning of the day and here on the, there are a lot of West Coast types. So it's like, you know, 10, 15 in the morning on a Thursday, they have had 210 conversations with VPs of sales with their targets. Not only are they learning from those, but their coach is watching this screen I'm looking at right now. I look like I'm looking at you, but I'm looking at another screen that shows me that they have in an, on an average of one hour, 34 minutes and 42 seconds of prospecting today. They've had an average of 287 dials, an average of 14 conversations. They've set an average of 1.4 meetings, which is 1.14 per hour. And at the top of the list, we've got somebody who's converting at 18.9%. But at the bottom, we got three people at zero. Maybe they need to be coached. I mean, you wouldn't run a sports team without having a coach, right? That's crazy. And yet we run sales teams with nobody watching. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, with all of the data that's available to us today, with all of the things that you can measure, you know, it, it just blows my mind because you've got so many people who don't even attempt to do it. Then you have this other subset of people that they'll, they'll buy the program, right? They'll buy the software, they'll buy the CRM, and then it just sits there in the box collecting dust. Or, you know, they've got like maybe an eighth of a tank of gas, but they, they don't want to fill it up. They don't want to spend the money to fill the tank up. <laughs> we might have to use it if we do that. And then you have the, the very, very small percentage of people who I like to think listen to this podcast that have the car filled with 93 premium and they're ready to take that bitch on a road trip and crush <laughs> some stuff across the country. That's, right. that's what I see. And it, it blows my mind in, 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 to me having a third party company, a service uh, doing what you guys do is instant accountability for these people, right? Because if we're the ones who were responsible for, for hammering it out and using the data and everything, it's going to sit in the box because we don't make that a priority. Somebody's going to call and need a certificate of insurance, or we're going to have a claim we have to deal with over here, or this underwriter is upset because we didn't get something right on the application. We find all the reasons not to do it. But if I have Chris in the team from Connect and Sell that are looking at that data, and I'm paying them to do that, and I need to execute, and we're not, guess what? They're going to hold me accountable to that. And to me, that's invaluable. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, I had the experience this morning of this kind of psychology, right? So I have a book I'm working on, and I find a lot of reasons not to write. And I love to write, by the way, but I find a lot of reasons not to write on my book. My fiance has a book she's writing. So now she needed somebody to take a look at the first, first chapter, very first out, and, and, you know, do something. I'm accountable to her, and so it's easy for me to write. Right. When we're accountable to somebody else, it's easy to execute. When we're accountable to ourselves, we always have got to go through True. mental gymnastics, emotional gymnastics that have a lot to do with our relationship with our parents and have a lot to do with the fact that at some point in our life, we had to we had to become autonomous. And then the question is, well, who's going to tell me what to do? Well, I'm going to tell myself. I don't know. Who am I then? Right. So it's so different when we have a relationship with somebody that we're accountable to. That's what 
Well, it's exactly right, David. What one of the things we do is just provide one no excuses. You push the button, you talk to somebody. Somebody once asked me, "Well, how often when you push the button do you talk to somebody?" It's like a hundred percent of the time you push the button, you're going to have a conversation. Well, with whom? With somebody on your list. Don't put them on your list if you don't want to talk to them, right? So you're in control of that. Well, and and they still find other things to do. So we add one more thing, which is, oh, by the way, while you're waiting to talk to somebody, you can do those other things. But I still think you need that last part, which is, uh, and we do some of it, but I think, you know, when somebody has an agency or whatever, they got people working for them. I watch my people casually and with an intent to help them every day. And I do it multiple times. I'm a CEO. I'm not the VP of sales. But I know right now, at this moment, which one of my reps, in fact, two of them, need help with their opener. I can tell by the numbers. And I can go listen to a couple of them. So, you know, if nobody's watching, you're not likely to watch yourself perfectly. You're just not likely to. Now, what gets measured gets done. Part of what we need to do, people, is take action every single day. And that's the first step. You know, this isn't like we're enrolling you in a 12 step program where your first step is to admit that you have a problem. I'm just going to assume that you do because most agencies out there have a problem with cold calling. I think that it's fairly safe to say they either don't want to go do a cold call drop in person or they don't want to pick up the phone and call. And of the two, I can tell you my reluctance is over the phone more than it is in person. I feel like if I go in in person, I can influence somebody. They can see my body language. I look like I'm a big teddy bear. I'm not nearly is, is, um, threatening to them when I walk into their turf because now I'm in their sandbox and I have to let them know that I'm in their sandbox. They're going to assume that. But part of taking action is to figure it out for your agencies. So I want to be respectful of Chris's time, but take us home, Chris. How do they get a hold of you? How do they learn more about Connect and Sell? How can they engage? Because I know that the 10,000 people plus that download this podcast every single month are going to want to reach out to you. I know that. Well, certainly want to talk to them or have somebody on my team talk to them. So uh, it's nothing is more fun than a Connect and Sell intensive test drive. It's a full day of production and it's free. So Tony Safoyan, different industry, but over at SADA, he's Google Cloud's number one reseller. I asked him on his podcast, didn't you make some money during your test drive at Connect and Sell? And he laughed and his VP of sales actually answered. He said, we made tens of millions of dollars. There you day. go. So it's fun and you make money and it costs you nothing. Then, you know, how do you get a hold of that? You go to our website, connectandsell.com. It's a little thing you fill out that says, I want to do a test drive. It's called free trial, but it's really a test drive. It's full production. It's your, your prospects. It's you and your people. We do them any size from one person up to, I've done hundred person test drives and you'll learn a lot. You know what you're going to learn? You're not that good because nobody's that good. And that's great because now you get to actually listen to those conversations, understand them. And then if you want to move forward with a, one of our other things, we do a little flight school for 10,000 dials for $9,500 or six people going through it for four sessions. We do messaging workshops, all that kind of stuff. So connectandsell.com is easy. If you want to get into the way I actually think about the world, which we've done a lot of here, I have a podcast called Market Dominance Guys. It's about dominating markets. Big surprise. <laughs> Wow, you really threw me for a curveball. <laughs> threw me a curveball there, Chris. <laughs> I know it was it was a tricky one. I didn't. It's like connect and sell. What do you do? Uh, we connect and you sell. That's kind of how it works, right? 
So um, that those are two places, and I'm out on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find if somebody's kind of a LinkedIn head. Uh, Chris Beal, B-E-A-L-L. I've been, I got 22,000 people I'm connected to, so join us. I should have 22,001 because I sent you a request while we were recording. So good stuff. Well, listen, people, this is really, you know, I can say this unequivocally. When we were, if you ever see me looking down at my phone, I'm not ignoring you. I'm at Kyle and I are actually texting back and forth about what we're going to ask next or whatever else. But literally, I could show the timestamp here. Five minutes in, I told him this is going to be an absolutely great podcast, and you certainly delivered, man. It was yep. fantastic. Um, you actually gave a lot of credibility to a lot of the things that we already talk about, and you have challenged me to also think differently about some of that. So mm-hmm. um, it's going to be interesting to see how I take dude. Some I have of the a notepad we- full of like a legal pad full of a whole sheet full of of stuff that we talked about today. It was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So what that tells me fantastic. is once we get through the initial wave of everybody just getting amped up over this episode in reaching out to connect and sell we got to have you back man we got to have you back because there's so much more we can talk about i'd love to do it you know what would be really fun is to is to do a free flight school for like 10 folks who are who are your podcast listeners who want to sign up you guys could participate because everybody's kind of in the same business so it'd be an easy flight school come with their own lists i'll have my flight school instructor run it it's like for, if you can't make money in a connect and sell flight school, you got to get out of the business. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Oh. And I'd, I'm happy to offer that. I hadn't thought about it, but I'll you know it's a ten thousand dollars of uh, of value, and we could put it together. Let's do like ten people. It actually be like fifteen thousand, but let's just throw that in if Done. listeners want to play. Yeah, now, I'm not going to lie. I feel like you got, you're talking to Goose and Maverick here. So regular flight school is not going to cut it. We need Top Gun. So I need, if Kyle and I are going to do this, I need eight of the best. We want Top Gun people in flight school. If you're going to be serious about taking your game to the next level, two things need to happen. Number one, you need to go leave a review for the power producers. On iTunes or wherever, yeah, wherever it is that you listen, leave a review. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to go subscribe to Chris's podcast. Okay, go listen to what he has to say. That's extremely important. And then number three, just shoot me an email and say I want in, and then I'll determine who gets in and who doesn't. So shoot me an email, say I want in. We um, we've got the holidays coming up. So probably we will we'll give it a little bit of time because I'm not exactly even sure when this episode is going to air um, because we're going to stop recording you know, right around Thanksgiving through the first of the year. So I want to get this out before then for sure and then run it through, like give people the opportunity to hit us up until whenever, you know, right around the first of the year. And then let's launch it right in Q1 of 2022, man. I think that would be perfect timing. Sounds sounds great. Uh, you know, as I, as I said, that. Someone else in the industry, I'm looking at 608 meetings that they've set since the beginning of the year. It'd be fun to defeat that those kind of numbers in a in a flight school that we could all do together with a bunch of producers. That'd be Kyle. Really cool. Just one question: Is Marvin Top Gun material? Does Marvin <laughs> make it to flight school? I, I feel like so, Chris. Just so you know, Marvin is our Philippines-based virtual assistant who currently sets appointments for us. So it'll be interesting to see if we threw him in there, if, if uh, how he would respond. He's a little bit timid, I think, when around other people. But anyhow, eight, yeah. eight of you, Kyle and I are in. So I mean, if nothing else if you want to hang out with us and try and dominate us in the call game come join us we'll be interested in seeing what happens 10 of us go to chris's flight school but the rest of you check it out connect and sell and we will catch you next time 
You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.